Man, thank you guys so much. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be a part of the Mercy Road family. And uh, our family's excited to just kind of uh, find home in this church and to plug in a little bit more and be able to be with you guys um, a little bit more often. Uh, today, I want to kick things off. Uh, we're, this, we're not technically in the new series, but when I found out that we were doing a new series called Underground Jesus, I wanted to kind of prime the pump. I wanted to get us excited about what that series entails. I know for uh, many of you guys who have been a part of Mercy Road for a while, you know that this is a series that, and really the only series, that we do every single year to kind of reiterate and talk about the mission of the church. And, and I want to kind of talk specifically today about how you fit in to that mission. How many of you know that you're not the point of this whole thing, but you do play a part? right? And I want to talk about the purpose that God has wired in each one of us to be on mission. There are three major existential questions that everybody has, whether you realize it or not. And those three questions are, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Now, it'd be entirely too ambitious of me to try to answer all three of them. It's already going to be ambitious of me to try to tackle the middle one. But I want to talk about why are we here? You ever stopped and asked that question? What's my purpose here on earth? Why has God placed me in this specific time in history, in this specific community, in this specific city, this place of the country? Why am I here? What's the purpose of that? And I believe that we're going to answer that question. And I believe if we don't answer that question for ourselves, then we are liable to live a life of frustration and emptiness. It can be really frustrating when you don't know your function. I learned this when I was really little. Uh, I was about six or seven, and my younger brother is two years younger than me. He and I were rummaging around our basement, and my dad, is a, uh, he's a former athlete, played baseball and soccer at Indiana Wesleyan University. Come on, any. Indiana, all right, here we go. Back when it was Marion College. And so, of course, when he got married and started having kids, he did what all of us former athletes do. He joined old man softball. Come on, somebody. We got some old man softball players in here. Let's go. And so uh, he had his equipment downstairs, and we were rummaging around in his equipment. We weren't supposed to be rummaging around in his equipment. Um, and my brother, he noticed a piece of equipment that looked a little odd to him. Now, I'm sorry, can I be inappropriate for just a second? There are some pieces of equipment that um, are a little bit odd when it comes to baseball players and, and, uh, and men softball players. And my brother had no idea, let's just call it an athletic protective wear, okay? Can we call that? He had no idea what it was, but we had just been recently watching Star Wars. See where this is going? <laughs> so my brother pulls this thing out of the bag and he puts it up to his mouth and he starts going, Luke, I am your, you know, so the whole day he's walking around thinking this is a Star Wars stormtrooper mask or something like that until my mom comes home and she sees him doing this and she tells him what the purpose of that piece of equipment was. And then needless to say, my brother was a little bit frustrated by that, right? I, I wonder how many people in, in here you're frustrated because you don't know what your purpose is, what your function is. Maybe you've come in here, you feel a little aimless, you feel a little purposeless, you feel a little empty, you feel a little dry. And I want to try to tackle that because when I was 18 years old, I came face to face with discovering what my purpose is. And I believe God's got a specific purpose for every single one of us. You were born on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. God has never said, oops, my bad, that was an accident. When you came off the assembly line in heaven, he didn't go, Gabriel, how did this, how'd this happen? Put this one back. Like, that, didn't, that did not happen. He has a purpose for you. And I came face to face when I was 18 years old with this purpose. I had my own plan and my own agenda for my life. And, 
And yet God had his own plan for my life as well. I was living in Birmingham, Alabama for 10 years from the time I was 7 to 17. My dad was a pastor there. I grew up there. I was involved in a lot of sports, a lot of extracurricular activities. I was going to a really great school. And uh, right before my senior year of high school, my dad pulls us aside and he says, Davey, um, Jono, we're, my brother, little brother's name is Jonathan. We call him Jono. I don't know what my parents had with nicknames. Davey, Jono, I have no idea, okay? Just deal with it, right? Pulled us aside and said, we're retiring at the church that we're at. We're resigning at the church that we're at, and we're moving. Now imagine this. You're rooted in a community for 10 years. It's all you know growing up from 7 to 17, and right before what's supposed to be the best year of your life, your senior year of high school, where you're supposed to be able to have all these great relationships and friends and opportunities, he says that we're moving and we have to start all over again. Now, up to that point, I had my dream for my life. My purpose was I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon, and I was going to go play Division I baseball. And I had many opportunities to, to move me in that path. In fact, I was working for the top orthopedic surgeon in the country in Birmingham, Alabama, at Health South at the time, Dr. James Andrews, who operates on all the SEC athletes there. I mean, an incredible opportunity working there in a co-op in high school. I was getting recruited to play Division I baseball by the University of Alabama, by several other big schools. I had my path set out. And then God had different plans. And when we moved right before my senior year of high school, literally every single one of those opportunities closed. And I found myself in the middle of my senior year going, God, why am I here? What is my purpose? What are you trying to do in this? Now, fortunately, I grew up in a Christian home, and so I had uh, somewhat of a, a, a rooted background to know that I could lean into the Lord during this stuff. But I went to a, a youth conference my senior year of high school, 18 years old, um, in the December, Christmas of that, of that year at, in Charlotte, North Carolina, 10,000 teen- teenagers across the, the, um, the, the auditorium there and worshiping. And the, the Sunday morning of that conference, this old guy gets up to talk. All the other speakers have been these young guys, this old guy who literally looked like he had been on the ark with Noah. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> he gets up to talk and he says this. He says, I want to talk to you about a full-time call to ministry. I'm talking to people who feel like they're called to ministry full-time. And I said, well, that's not me. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. I'm going to go play Division I baseball. That's not me. And so I completely checked out. Started writing notes to all my friends. Started doing, you know. And then at the end of the message, this is what he said. He said, if you feel called to full-time ministry, I want you to stand up. I want you to walk to the back. And I have no idea what came over me. But I stood up. It was like an out-of-body experience. I started walking to the back. And I got halfway. And I was like, what am I doing right now? And this rush of peace came over me. The power of the Holy Spirit. That, that it, all of a sudden, everything made sense. And God said, this is what I've built you for. This is what I've called you to. And so in that moment, as all my opportunities are falling by the wayside, I had one opportunity that was open to play baseball at Southern Wesleyan University in South Carolina on a full-ride scholarship. And apparently God wanted me to study ministry. Now, I got excited about that for a couple of, a couple of weeks, right? I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Like, this is, well, I'm going to go to a Christian university where it's going to be like youth camp on steroids. Come on, you know the like Thursday night youth camp where everybody's coming down front. They're like, I'm never going to sin again. You know, it's like all, everybody's snotting all over each other. I love you. And that's just the, the, the dudes, you know what I mean? Like, I thought that's what a Christian college was going to be like. And I step on campus and it was the complete opposite. It was very dry. It was like a barren spiritual wasteland. In fact, you would walk into the cafeteria and you would notice two different types of people there. You would notice the Christians and the athletes. And the athletes didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity. They didn't want to have anything to do with the message of Jesus because of the message that the Christians were representing by judging the athletes for all of the stuff that they were doing on the weekends. 
The athletes were caught up in just partying on the weekends, sleeping with everybody else and sleeping with each other and getting, getting drunk. And, and the Christians were saying, I can't believe they don't act like Jesus. And we're, I'm going, wait a minute, they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. How are they supposed to act like Jesus? And because of this judgmental culture that was happening, there was a massive divide. And here I am stepping on campus with another friend of mine named Kenneth, and we were both baseball players studying to be in ministry. So you imagine our dilemma as we walk into the cafeteria and we go, here or here? And for a while, I, I hate to say, and I'm ashamed to say, that we chose to distance ourselves away from the athletes until God began doing some kind of unrest inside of our soul. We'd sit in systematic theology classes and preaching classes and learning how to become a pastor and, and all of these other folks who were learning how to become a pastor, they'd sit there and they'd go, man, I can't wait to be in ministry one day. I can't wait to be in ministry one day. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. I'm like, wait a minute, half of our campus, it was a small school, doesn't know Jesus. What do you mean you can't wait to be in ministry one day? They'd be sitting there saying that and they'd, they'd go in the afternoons and play Halo 3 in their underwear in their apartment the rest of the afternoon. And Kenneth and I, we would go down to the practice field and we'd sit and stretch with these guys who all they were talking about is who they were going to sleep with that weekend and what party they were going to go to and how they were going to get trashed. And God began breaking my heart. And God began doing something inside of me that I think he wants to do in every single one of us in here today. And he began to help me understand that it doesn't matter where he has you on the map, he has you on mission. Come on, I need you to write that down. If you didn't catch that, you need to write that down. It does not matter where God has you on the map. He has you on mission. What I began to realize in that season of life is that God did not give me the ability to play baseball so it would terminate on me playing baseball. He gave me the ability to play baseball so it would terminate in ministry. In fact, I've got four things I need you to get in here today. And, that, and the first one is this, ministry. I need you to understand ministry because this passage in Luke chapter 10 that we're going to talk about, it opened up to me in that season and I saw it in a completely new way. And I believe wholeheartedly that, listen, every one of us, God has called to ministry. Now, he, might not has, he may not have called you to be a, a, a full-time pastor or a preacher or work on a church staff, but I, he has called you to a personal ministry. And, and I think we see this in Luke chapter 10. So let's, let's start reading in Luke chapter 10 and this is what it says. It says, after this, the Lord, or Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, don't miss this scene. He has Jesus. He steps up on the scene. He's talking about the kingdom of God, talking about how forgiveness of sins and how you can find purpose in life and meaning and fulfillment in God and his kingdom in Jesus. And he's got his 12 disciples who are next to him whom he called out of, vocational, out of the marketplace into vocational ministry. So 12 disciples, Jesus, and there's this crowd in front of him. And I believe Jesus went, okay, hold on. Let's see. We've got to figure out how are we going to reach doctors? Doctors need to know the message of the gospel. How are we going to reach doctors? Hey, you two, come here. You're, you're doctors. Come here, come here, come up here. You're going to go reach doctors. He's like, all right, how about teachers? How are we going to go reach teachers? Hey, you two, come here. You guys are teachers. Come here, come here, come here. You can relate to them like, like I can't. Why don't you come here? You, you go reach teachers. How about that? He looked out in the crowd. He goes, how are we going to reach lawyers? How are we going to? No, lawyers have no shot. Okay, how are we going to reach... <laughs> Joke, I'm kidding, I'm sorry if you're a lawyer, okay. Do you understand the point? He said, wait, we've got to reach people in spheres and spaces and places that a full-time pastor can't go. 
If Pastor Josh showed up at your workplace, he'd get arrested, okay? (laughs) But God has put you specifically in that space and in that sphere for you to minister to that person. The reason he has you in the cube that he has you in, the reason that he has you in the position at work that he has you in, the reason you have not gotten the promotion yet, the reason that he has you at that school that you're in or on that sports team you're in is he has you there for a reason and a purpose. Your position right now is for a purpose that God has for you, and that purpose is ministry. And it does not matter if you feel equipped to do the ministry. God does not call those that are already equipped. He equips those that he calls. And if you're sitting in here, you have a unique and distinct calling on your life. And he's put you in that place for the purposes of ministry. Do you know this guy who wrote this book right here, Luke? He was not one of the 12 disciples. I don't know if you knew that. Many scholars believe he was one of the 72. Luke was a physician, a doctor, and a historian. And yet God called him, Jesus called him to go and minister to people in such a way that he would write history to affect impact, even though he wasn't a full-time pastor, and that he would treat people in the medical field so that he could give them a, a, a physical hope and ultimately give them a spiritual hope. Come on, this is what God has called us to. And he's wired it in each one of us from the very beginning of time. Psalm 139, I want to show you this. It says in Psalm 139, For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I love that. It says, you created me in my inmost being. Have you ever seen, can I go just real intellectual and academic on you for a second? You ever seen a picture of a DNA double helix? A DNA double helix is fascinating. I'm going to put this up here for you so you can see this. This is at the, at the bare root of your physical being, the encoding that makes up your unique personality, your unique character traits, your unique distinction. There are over 20,000 genes comprised inside a DNA double helix in your body that creates a combination that makes you unique to anyone else. God has hardwired into you specific personality that he has not hardwired into somebody else. And that personality is not to terminate on you being a really charismatic, personable person, but to terminate on you being in ministry. How many of you guys, you're like hyper-organized. You love, like you put your left sock in your left drawer and your right sock in your right drawer. Come on, somebody, right? (laughs) You're like, if it is out of place, I am freaking out. Come on, anybody in here? No, we all free uh, spirits? Okay, great, great, great. What about about you're like, okay, Davey, I'm a free spirit and I'm just so glad I have socks on today, right? (laughs) Did you know God wired that into you? He wired that into you because there is a uniqueness that he wants to use that part of your personality and leverage it for the kingdom of God. He has given you ability, but that ability is not to terminate on your ability. It's to terminate on ministry. He's given you personality, but that personality is not to terminate on personality, to cause you to climb some corporate ladder, to cause you to, 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 to kind of work over people in order to get to some position, to cause you to be successful, to cause you, no, no, no. He's used and wired that personality inside of you to terminate in ministry. Even the proximity that you've been given around people, it's not used just for you to have really great community and have fun. That leads to this purposeless, aimless life. It's used for the purposes of ministry. All of the opportunities that you've been given, and you have been given those opportunities. 
the privilege with which we live. God is wanting you to discover the fact that your opportunity is used for ministry. It's not used for us to just kind of build a house out in the suburbs and kick back and build a white picket fence and have 2.4 kids and a dog. That's not what life is all about. Although those things are good, if those things are the end, we live a meaningless life. But if they are a means to the end of building God's kingdom, then we feel, fulfill purpose in this life. We're called to ministry. Now, when I was wrestling with this, I was like, wait a minute. I think people who are full-time pastors are called to ministry. All the rest of us are called to do something else. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Watch this in verse 12. To equip his people for the works of service. Do you know what Pastor Josh's job is? Pastor Luke's job? Pastor Eric's? My job? Our job is to equip you for ministry. The people of the church are called to do ministry. Listen, if you are a member of the body of Christ, you are a minister of the gospel of Christ. This is what I love about Mercy Road. This is what I love about Four, four campuses being started at one time. This is a mission that is, that is committed to sending people out in their specific ministry to be on purpose to affect change and impact in their spheres of influence. This is why my family and I said, no, okay, what church do we want to be a part of? This church right here. Because it's a church that is hardwired into the DNA of the church, the reality that hardwired into the DNA of each one of us is a personal ministry and we're called to fulfill that personal ministry. So ministry is the first thing I need you to understand. The second thing that I was kind of wrestling with is this idea of availability. Availability. Um, Josh is going to be talking and the other pastor is going to be talking in, in Acts chapter 4 in this underground Jesus. But I, I love Acts because it's this movement of the, of the early church that begins to spread far and wide. But in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, there's this really powerful verse right here. Um, and I, I had to wrestle with this. And I, I heard this verse when I was in college because when I was in college, I was going, wait a minute, I'm not, I don't have the ability to minister to other people. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. Anybody ever wrestle with that before? Like, I don't know how to do that. It's really cool. Josh, what Josh does, and he speaks up here. It's really awesome, but I'm terrified to speak. There's no way I could speak. Did you know that public speaking is the first most feared thing of all of society? More than death. Death is number two, statistically speaking. Isn't that crazy? You might be like, I don't have the ability. How can I minister to other people? I don't have the ability to do that. Well, this is so cool. In Acts chapter 4, it highlights the disciples that Jesus called into ministry. And it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. I underline that because the Greek of unschooled, ordinary men is one word. The original language that this was written in. It's the word in Greek, idiotos. It is literally where we get our word idiot. How amazing is it that Jesus called 12 idiots to come and change the world with him, right? Isn't that good news for us? It's so good that God does not call extraordinary people to do extraordinary things. He calls ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. And that when we show up 
When he's not looking for ability but available, we go, I'm available, God. I'm, I'm here to do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. When we show up with expectation and then we answer the call in participation, then emancipation, freedom happens all around us. It's an incredible thing. God does not call those who are already equipped. He equips those that he calls. And he has called you and me into ministry every single day. Tomorrow, you're going to do ministry. What do you do? Sales? No, you don't do sales. You do ministry. What do you, what do, you do? You, you, phone calls? Customer service? No, no, no. You do ministry. That's what this whole thing is about. Can you imagine if every single person put down their insecurities about their ability and they decided, no, I'm just available, God. D.L. Moody said, it, it, um, the world has yet to see what God can do through one man or one woman that is fully devoted to him. I'm here, God. And this is what happened with the 72 God used all these people, these physicians, to go step into spaces Jesus could not step into, and they reached people. Now, what's crazy is he sent them out ahead of him. And when we're talking about ministry, oftentimes, especially like before a service or something like this, this, this happened before a service, we, we prayed and we said, God, would you go ahead of us? Would you pre- prepare the way for us? Would you till up the soil in people's hearts so they could receive what you want to say. Have you ever heard that before? You ever prayed that before? I find it interesting that Jesus did the opposite, that he sent them ahead of him. I wonder if the reason we're hesitant to be in ministry is because it's really intimidating because we have the roles flip-flopped and we're taking on too much of the responsibility to move in people's lives. And we're going, all right, God, why don't you go ahead of us so then we can come in and we can kind of seal the deal, Right? We put this, this responsibility on us. No wonder it's so intimidating to step into ministry. Jesus does the exact opposite. He sends people ahead of him and says, I just need you to go prepare the way. We're like, oh, God, would you just please go prepare the way for me? Go ahead of me. Can I tell you something? If God's put somebody on your heart, he has already put himself on their heart. He's already gone ahead, but what he's called us to do is go ahead of him and prepare the way for him so that he can be the one that moves. You know, when we get around uh, November, December, January here in the Midwest, we have snow. I grew up in the South. I didn't understand what snow was. When, when snow threatened, when there are flurries, you go and you wipe out everything on the grocery aisle, right? Like everything, bread, milk, it's all gone, right? You get this little flurry and it's like everybody's huddled in trying to wait for the apocalypse, here, it's amazing. When I moved here, I was like, this is awesome. People just wake up and they go to work. Why? Because there's snow plows. There's salt trucks that lay the way and clear the way for people to get to work, to get to the purpose that they need to. I think it's really interesting that Jesus called us as Christians the salt of the earth. Oh, come on. That we are called to prepare the way for Jesus to move in people's lives. That we're called to lay the groundwork. We're called to clear the barriers away from people's lives, which means that we can't just let this Christianity thing be a lip service thing. It's got to be a life service. Hello. It's got to be something we actually live out so they see it in our lives first, and then they go, man, I want that. What is that? Let me give you three really practical ways that you can clear the way for people. The first one, meet a physical need. If you're thinking of somebody in your sphere of influence that you, God's called you to ministry, and minister to your neighborhood, your workplace, meet a physical need. Keep your eyes open for when maybe they just need a friend to talk to or they need you know, to, to borrow a, 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 a stick of butter or something. I don't know. Just whatever that physical need is, meet that physical need because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The second thing, invite them to church. Invite them to church. 
This is an incredible environment that's not a, it's not a, a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. We're all broken and busted up and messed up. And it's really cool that this is a space where that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. And yet Jesus loves us so much that he moves us to make us to where we are. We're, we don't have to stay that way. This is awesome. The, the third thing is share your story. Just share your story. Well, nobody can argue with your story. You might not know all the facts about Jesus and all the arguments and the, you know, apologetics to be able to explain why, you know, the existence of God is here. But, but you can tell the personal impact that God has made in your life. You can say, hey, no, no, no. You know what? I was once blind and now I see. I was lame and now I walk. I was lost and now I'm found. Nobody can argue with that. And when they see what God has done in your life, friend, that you are a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, man, they will gravitate to that. They want that kind of hope. So clear the way. It goes on in Luke chapter 10 to say, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When we, when we get into kind of a season like this in church world, we start thinking about, man, God wants to bring, this is a season where people are going to come to church because they're getting back into the rhythm of life. And we pray for things like the harvest. God, would you, would you just help us to reach more people? Would you help us to, would there be just a, a huge harvest of people coming to know you in this next season? But what's interesting is Jesus said, don't pray for the harvest. The harvest is already there. It's out there, friends. uh, uh, Eric just alluded to it just a second ago. There is a major need for the gospel in this world. Two mass shootings in the past 24 hours. This world is hurting, and it's broken. And it's not just out there. It's sitting across from you in the cubicle. And it's going to school with you. The harvest is plentiful. Man, if you go right down the road here to Keystone Mall, the fashion mall, there are a lot of people sitting there instead of coming to church. The harvest is plentiful. Don't pray for the harvest. It's there. Jesus said pray for the workers. Because if people would begin to step up and participate in this mission, friends, that if we would step up and participate in this mission, the harvest would just come naturally. God's calling us with expectation to step into participation, and that will lead to emancipation, freedom for people all over the world. But it's on us. The third thing is urgency. Urgency. You're like, Davey, why are you so, man, you're getting fired up over this. You've been talking, and you're like, oh, I don't even know why you're fired up over this. Because of urgency. Jesus called the, the 72, he sent them out, and he said this. He said, go, I'm, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anybody on the road. Like, don't stop, just go. Why? Because it's urgent. Friends, when we're talking about people crossing over from death to life spiritually, new life happening, when God awakens something inside of them, this is not just a life or death thing. This is an eternity thing. This is urgency. There's urgency with new life. We were just, um, Weston, my, my uh, five-year-old, he just turned five this past week, and um, Christy is sitting here. She's my, Christy is my wife. She's sitting here on the front row, and she and I were talking to Weston on his five-year-old birthday about his birth story. Now, Weston um, was born to my late wife and I, Amanda, and so Christy was sitting there with me. We're talking to him about his birth story. Kind of, I'm recounting the story, and it made me remember how funny that moment was when, we, when Amanda went into labor because it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm dead asleep, and she starts rubbing my arm. I wake up to this soft rub on my arm, and she goes, hey, 
my water just broke. <laughs> now, dudes, husbands, I, like the tone of that did not match to me the gravity of the situation. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, hey, my water just broke. I'm like, Whoa, wait, what? Huh? What are you so, uh, what? what? What just happened? She goes, it's okay. Just pack the bag. I'm going to go take a shower. I'm like, you're going to what? Like, you are going in labor, woman. Let's go. We got to get going, right? So I'm packing all the bag, and I'm frantic, and I'm hurrying. I'm taking it out to the car. And, and I come back in, and, and she is vacuuming. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> this is urgent, you know? <laughs> and then I kid you not, we finally get in the car, and we start to head to the hospital. She's like, can we stop into Walgreens and get some batteries for my camera? I'm like, what is happening? You know, like... This is urgent. Why was there such a panic inside of me? Because of urgency. When there is new life, friends, there is urgency. There are people that we go to school with, that we go to work with, that we go to the gym with, that, we are, that are in our neighborhood that, listen, they do not know Jesus. This is why the mission of this church is to reach a million people. Not so we can go, oh, cool, Mercy Road reached a million people. No, because every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And God has put you strategically in that space to reach that person. It's urgent. The last thing is this, opportunity. Opportunity. Luke chapter 10, verse 5, it says, When you enter the house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking. Whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. What he's saying right here is when you go into the city, look for opportunities. Look for open doors that I've put in front of you. The thing we mess up sometimes in ministry is we go, Hey, God, would you give me an opportunity? God's going, the opportunities are out there. Just look for it. This is what I began praying in college. Kenneth and I began praying for these guys. We started saying, God, would you give us the eyes to see the open doors and the opportunities that with these guys on this team? We literally started praying for these guys uh, by name. We put rosters up all over our apartment, and we would pray for them by name. We would we wanted to make sure it was the first thing that we saw every morning, so we put a roster over, over our toilet. Sorry to be crass, but it was so urgent to us. We wanted to pray for them and ask God to move in their lives. I'll never forget, there's a guy on our team named John Shulo. And uh, he was the guy that we kind of marked as like, this is the last person that would ever come to know Christ. You know, you have that friend who's like, there's no way, right? It's like, God's going to save everybody else before this guy. John Shulo was six foot four, 245 pounds. He was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Looked like he should have played linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he walked around like Johnny Bravo, you know the cartoon? Big old chest, little tiny legs. And he talked like me. Oh, hey, how you doing? What's going on, right? John Shulo was, he had no idea, no construct for a relationship with Jesus. I remember on a, on a trip in Florida, we drove from our hotel to Pizza Hut to go and, to go and eat. And it was a 10-minute drive. And we put on a pitch counter how many times he dropped the F-bomb. And it was like 170 times. I'm like, how in the world? Like, there's no way that anybody except for John Shulo. We got back our sophomore year. We had to report early for the season to get started after Christmas break. And John Shulo calls me up. He goes, Dave, you want to go for a run? You didn't work out with John Shulo. <laughs> he was a maniac. 
I'll never forget one time in the weight room, he got off the squat rack and he passed out, literally passed out right there, woke up on his own, sat down on the bench and started curling, going, I'm okay, I'm okay, you know? Like this, this guy, he calls me up and said, Davey, let's go for a run. He said, I want to run four miles. I'm like, I've never run more than a mile in my life. Okay. I'm like, God, give me the strength. But I had this impression God wanted me to share the gospel with him. Can I tell you something? I'd never shared the gospel with anybody before. I was studying to be a pastor. I'd never shared the gospel with anybody. So the whole run, I'm sharing the gospel. We get to the very end of this run. We sit down in our, outside of our apartment on the curb. And I look at him. I go, John, what do you think about this? My heart's pounding out of my chest. I'm like, this is the moment. I'm going to lead him to, to Christ. This is going to be awesome. And he looks at me. He goes, good talks, man. Puts his arm around me. And he walks away. I'm like, wait, what? That was it. So I called him the next Sunday. Hey, John, I want you to come to church with me. He goes, oh, Davey, I know you want me to come to church with you, but I got to study. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and he said this to me. He said, but when you get back from church, can we come over? Can I come over to your apartment and we talk some more about Jesus? I was like, yeah, man, come on over. Let's go. So we had John Shulo in our apartment. We opened up the Bible to him, had no idea where to start. So we started in Matthew at the very beginning where Jesus is born. And we talked to him about the immaculate conception, right? You've got this six foot four, 245 pound dude who's laying on our apartment floor with his Bible out in front of him. He's on his stomach with his head in his hands and his feet kicked up. And we're trying to explain to him the immaculate conception of Mary. And he goes, wait, you mean Mary and Joseph didn't have sex before they had Jesus? I was like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to explain. It's a miracle, man. He goes, wow, does that happen a lot? <laughs> we had a guy named John Magni on our team. His name was Magni. And he reads about the Magi coming from the East. And he goes, and the Magni, John Magni's in the Bible? <laughs> I mean, just not even a clue. Can I tell you something, though? That night, John Shulo all six foot four, 245 pounds of him, knelt on our apartment floor and gave his life to Jesus. Do, do I have a second to tell you another, another little bit? Uh, the next night, we get a knock on our apartment door, and there's two guys standing out, Dustin and Scotty, and they look at us and they go, hey, what's up with Shulo? I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about, what's up with Shulo? Well, he won't go clubbing with us tonight. I'm like, well, why did you come here? He said it has something to do with what happened in here tonight. Um, well, last night, John gave his life to Jesus, but I didn't tell him he couldn't go clubbing. How many of you know that when you give your life to Jesus, he's not worried about your outside behavior, but he starts changing everything from the inside out. You don't have to worry about modifying somebody else's behavior. God will convict through the Holy Spirit. And I was like, well, I mean, he gave his life to Jesus, but I didn't tell him that. And they go, you think you guys could come over and talk to us about Jesus too? Kenneth, like, we're like, uh-huh. Kenneth, like, closes the door, and we're like, what is happening, you know? <laughs> and we go over to Dustin and Scotty's apartment, and they both kneel on their apartment floor, and they give their lives to Jesus. And that semester, we had 15 guys on our team. It was like a domino effect. Begin to give their lives to Jesus. The last one, I'll never, I will never forget, the last one, was his name was Ben Douglas, and he was the most brilliant, intelligent dude I've ever met in my entire life. And he said, I will never receive Jesus Christ unless you can answer all these questions. He hands me five pages of questions. And I'm like, there's no way I can answer these questions for you, bro. I said, but here's a book that we can read together. I gave him the book Case for Faith. 
And he goes, well, I'll read this book with, with you if you'll read the Da Vinci Code with me. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, that's fine. So we're reading this thing together and we start, he starts asking questions and one day he decides he's gonna come to church with me. We're sitting in this auditorium, about 2,500 seat auditorium. We're up in the balcony. The pastor gives this invitation, says, I want you to come down to the front and, and if you need to give your life to Jesus. And, and so the, the invitation sits, no response from Ben. I'm praying, God, would you just, would you just cause him to go, go and respond? Would you just give, give his life to you? The pastor goes, if you need to meet Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to look to the right and to the left and say, hey, if you need to go down, I'll go down with you. And I look to my right to Ben. I say, hey, man, if you need to go down, I'll go down with you. Ben looks back at me. He goes, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I look to the person on my left. I say, if you need to go down, I'll go down with you. And there's this hand on my thigh. And I look back and Ben is in tears. He says, I got to go down, man. I got to go down. Guys, I nearly jumped off the balcony. <laughs> to take him down there. I'm like, let's go before you change your mind, you know? And Ben gave his life to Jesus. Hey, listen to me. It had nothing to do with some kind of degree in Bible that I got, some kind of pedigree. It had everything to do with a decree that Jesus gave us called the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples. And friends, he's not looking for people who have all the ability in the world. He's looking for people who would say, I'm available. I'm available. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close and kind of do a little bit of business with God right here? Because I believe right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, there are names that are cropping up inside of your heart right now people that you're thinking of that need to know Jesus and you're beginning for the first time to have the realization that God has put you in their life for ministry. Wherever he has you on the map right now, he has you on mission. In the next maybe 30 seconds, I wanna just leave some silence for you to talk to God in, in, in any way that you need to. Maybe you need to respond to that invitation that Jesus has put out to you to become to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you need to respond to the invitation he's put out to you to be in ministry. Whether you're a doctor or a teacher or you're in sales or whatever it is, you're in ministry. Right now, would you just respond to him? Jesus, we just thank you so much for what you've done in our hearts. We thank you for the mission that you've called us to, that you don't need us at all but you invite us to participate for our sake, for our good. We thank you so much, Jesus, for the work that you are doing right now in our hearts and the work that you're gonna do through us in this church and in the city and, and in our communities, God, and the mission that you've called each one of us to, the personal ministry, God. I, I ask that you would give us courage to step into it, whatever it is. Give us the courage to raise our hand and volunteer and say, hey, I'll go. Send me wherever it is, I'll go. God, empower us with your spirit and your power to do your work in this world. In your name we pray, amen.